Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Andy Behrens, joined as usual by Scott Pianowski and welcome the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you know what satisfied me today? Actually, not just today, over the past week. Scott, I have really, really enjoyed the fact that LeBron James is tweeting during NFL games. I'm really loving it. Like That helped make the Thursday night game between Denver and, and the Jets make it go down really well. I was satisfied to see Miami win that third game, so maybe we'll get some kind of a series because when the Miami team photo got hurt early in the series and the Lakers get up 2 nothing, I thought, okay, this is, you know, Lakers in three, right? I mean, it just seemed like such a non-series. I still don't think Miami can get back in it, but at least we'll have something to watch. And they've, look, I'm also satisfied by the fact that given where sports were at a few months ago, the fact that they successfully successfully played the Stanley Cup finals. The the NBA's got a crown yeah. champion. They've gotten the golf tour, which I'm a big golf fan. They've gotten that going again. They're going to have the Masters in a few weeks. And um somehow we keep trucking through the NFL season. Here we are, you know, almost on the as we tape this, we're just about done with week 4 and a few days ago I wasn't sure there's was going to be a week 4, so I'm satisfied by that too. Yeah, how about it? We're sputtering a little bit. It's uh, like this has been a busy news couple of days here, but the NFL has strengthened, enhanced, buffered somehow their uh, COVID protocols. So with any luck, maybe we won't get future postponements or near postponements and all the madness that we had this week. This week is a reminder that this can definitely happen later in the season. And it's something that fantasy managers have to plan for and whatnot. We also had a bit of news uh, over the past 24 hours with Bill O'Brien. Not long after Bill O'Brien declared that he was going to take over play calling duties for the Texans, upper management said, no, in fact, you're not. You're not going to have any duties with the Texans any longer. He's out as coach and GM Romeo Cronell in on an interim basis. I guess that's going to happen when you try to when you kind of go all in on 2020 and then you start out 0 and 4. I've made my share of Bill O'Brien jokes and been frustrated by him several times as most fantasy managers have been nobody really understood the deandre hopkins trade the inability to really get deshaun watson the help he needs and it's so frustrating because you see how baltimore has structured a team that's perfect for lamar jackson and obviously patrick mahomes stepped into a kind of a ready-made team those those are ideal setups I'm, i'm not saying those are maybe replicable for what houston has I get the idea, to be fair to O'Brien, they went to several playoffs. And I get the idea he's one of those coaches 
that just needed somebody to talk him out of the occasional bad idea that he would have. I, I think of like Chip Kelly, who had <laughs> some success with the Eagles. But the problem was that Chip Kelly didn't have anybody to say, hey, Chip, this is a bad idea. Don't go after Sam Bradford. You know, uh, Bill O'Brien needs somebody to say, hey, look, I know you and Hop aren't getting along right now. Let's try to figure this out. If you do want to trade him, how about doing a, a substantial search to get the best trade? Just don't take the first one that shows. Don't answer the first call and just get him out of town. You're going to regret this. We don't have the pieces around Watson that we really need. And you know, look, I mean, Fuller's great when he's healthy. I, I don't have any faith in Brandon Cooks right now. So I, I think Bill O'Brien is, is – it's just so easy to bash him, and I think a lot of it is merited. I th- still think he's a good – he's one of those guys that will probably be a really good coordinator. Maybe he won't be a head coach for a while, but I felt like his downfall was that he never had that guy next to him to tap him on the shoulder and say, Bill, let's think this one through. You know, We're, we're making a mistake here with this Hopkins deal. <laughs> I feel like, and this this applies to any sport. You can you can count on one hand the list of human beings who who can probably pull off both a head coach and front office job, right? Because there's such a natural tension between them. One is so short term. Well, like, am I going to win tonight? I I need everything at my disposal to win tonight. And the other job is obviously so long term. You're thinking five years, seven years out. You're thinking next year. You're you're rarely thinking about today, right? It's it's just a crazy thing to take. On like it didn't work for Tom Thibodeau in spectacular fashion lately. Like you just point to people in every sport, it it just very rarely works out. It certainly wasn't going to work out for Bill O'Brien. Not once they got off to the. I mean, they really they got off to the O and three start, and then you said, okay, maybe it's Minnesota. Get yourself to one and three. It's not a it's not a division where necessarily anybody's going to run away from this. But but then you lose to Minnesota, and I get it. You know, I'd have no problem if you said to a respected head coach, you know, we'll give you input to the GM decision or what make sure you have somebody you're on the same page yeah. with, but it sure seems like it's a job that should be handled by somebody independent. And then you work obviously collaboratively. And isn't it interesting, the Bill Belichick coaching tree, which has been so underwhelming, uh, O'Brien out, Cornell in. So at least we still have a, another Bill <laughs> Belichick guy in, in, until Matt Patricia, you know, leaves Detroit, which I, I got to figure is going to happen at the end of the year, if not sooner. So speaking of Bill Belichick, let's talk about his team. Let's talk about his actual team, because this is the Pickups podcast. We're setting your waiver wire claims for you. Damian Harris, kind of a thing now. Sony Michelle hits IR. He's got a quad injury, so he's going to miss multiple weeks. Damian Harris steps right in from IR himself. He'd been a little bit buzzy in the preseason. He ran for 100 yards. He got the first carry of the game for the Patriots. Basically split snaps with Rex Burkhead, who is probably available in about 50% of leagues right now, something something like that, and with uh, James White. But a lot of that early down work went to Harris. He looked really good. Not super flashy, but we saw him break off a couple of long runs. He had a 41-yarder, finished with an even 100 yards. He, to me, looks like perhaps the priority at running back from this entire field this week. Yeah, I think he's an interesting ad. The problem is that eventually they'll get Newton back. And much like Josh Allen will always be the goal line back in Buffalo, I feel like Kim Newton will yeah. always be the goal line priority for New England. And Burkhead and White are going to have roles. We, we saw in, in the game tonight, White is still the receiver that like most out of the backfield. Burkhead, they're always going to have anywhere from five to ten touches, maybe a few more on certain weeks. So you're going to be playing to some degree whack-a-mole with you know, how much is Harris going to get. They, the Patriots are famous for having a different game plan for every opponent. I, I like adding Harris. I guess my point is this. I'd be more likely to put in a competitive Harris offer. I'm not going to two-hand shove all my chips in and say, got to have Harris. Sure, He's a guy I'm interested in. And, and of course, it's all contextual. I wouldn't mind making a very competitive offer for Harris. I'm just not going to say – 
pound the table and say, hey, you, you got to get this guy. It's just it's maybe he fits your plans and maybe he doesn't. Yeah, I get it. I, I don't think you can expect any more than what you would have expected from Sony Michelle going forward. Right. But um, certainly a player with a pedigree. You, you start looking back on the teams that Harris played on at uh, Alabama. It's, it's just amazing. The talent that was around him. Right. Like he he was basically not the featured guy necessarily, but pretty close to the featured guy on a team that had like. Josh Jacobs, Bo Scarborough. Before that, he was with he was with Derrick Henry and Kenyon Drake, right? Like a loaded team. So if you have the Nick Saban stamp of approval as a running back, I I'm generally into yeah, it. Yeah, they had for just a minute they had Alvin Kamara at Alabama, and then he ended up going right. to Tennessee. It's funny how early in the Saban regime they they didn't have great offenses. They had the AJ McCarron show and everything, and then at some point. In the last seven or eight years, Alabama basically gets as many five-star athletes as they want at the skill positions. Look at the receivers. They just fortify the NFL with, you know, it's just ridiculous, the skill talent they have. I like that you brought up Michelle's name because I think Harris's upside would be like a a good, the good version of Michelle, maybe not that active in the passing game, but a really good two down back on an offense we still think is a favorable offense. Again, you have to share with Cam and others. But if you think, think of when you liked Sony Michelle. That's probably what Harris profiles to maybe a, maybe an eyelash better than that. Right. We're in agreement. I feel the same way. Absolutely. And you're totally right. Cam comes back and Cam is the primary goal line runner. But we have IR news elsewhere as well. So Austin Eckler probably hitting IR. Nick Chubb uh, hitting IR. Like this is bad. These are going to be multi-week injuries for each player. Talk to me about Dearness Johnson of the uh, of the Browns who had a nice day against Dallas. I mean, everybody who ran uh, forward basically uh, had a nice day for uh, for Cleveland against the Cowboys defense, which gave up 307 rushing yards. So Dearness Johnson, pretty interesting, obviously coming off 95 rushing yards in that one. Justin Jackson also obviously gets interesting with the Chargers. Jackson, a player who kind of an afterthought uh, over these last couple of weeks because he's been dinged. Uh, Joshua Kelly had taken over sort of that supporting rushing workload, which in certain weeks was really substantial. And now it's just going to be Kelly and Jackson. So of those two, who interests you the most? I think Justin Jackson does because I worry that Kelly may have missed his opportunity to mark territory because he keeps fumbling. He said yeah. fumbles and I think it's back-to-back weeks. And he really hasn't been a productive runner since the opening game against Cincinnati. So I don't know that He's necessarily got the the gig. Now, the thing with Johnson, uh, Dearness Johnson, who, uh, by the way, I'm in a 400-pick league that we do every year. Nobody drafted Dearness Johnson. That's how off the radar this guy has been. Cleveland, don't be fooled by their point total yesterday. And, and I know Beckham had a great game. They want to turn Baker Mayfield into a game manager. Cleveland wants to win with good offensive line play, with power running. They were doing it with Chubb and Hunt, who looked terrific. Obviously, Chubb's out of the mix for a while. So I would think there's room for Johnson to maybe assume a role. Anybody in fantasy who can get 10 touches a week projectably is useful in most leagues. And I think Johnson can become that player. Unfortunately, he gets Indianapolis and Pittsburgh the next two weeks, which which is just the gauntlet. And you know he'll be yeah. behind Hunt in the pecking order. So I think Jackson's more interesting because Kelly hasn't necessarily picked up and, and run with his opportunity and the schedule's a little bit more favorable. And also this Chargers offense with, with Hebert playing so well it looks a lot more interesting. I mean, they know they lose Eckler, which is monumental, and I hate to see that guy off the field. He may, may not even play again this year, but at least this offense has a chance to threaten all areas of the field with a quarterback with a big arm, and I'm, I'm finding myself pretty excited 
to get invested in this Chargers offense. Yeah, we'll get to Herbert a little bit later. I'm pretty interested in him as well. That was a heck of a that was a heck of a back and forth with uh, with Tampa Bay. I see the point on uh, on Justin Jackson, somebody that I am crazy familiar with because he was at Northwestern uh, seemingly forever million touchdowns there. Really good college player. But he's also been like in limited duty, a, a pretty efficient pro runner, right? I think it's 4.8 career yards per carry. He's been relatively efficient player. Kelly really looks the part when he's not putting the ball on the ground. But obviously you can't like there's nothing that coaches consider half as toxic as uh, as ball security issues. And he's clearly come up with them over the last couple of weeks. So that is a concern. I will say I, th- I find the Dearness Johnson story like the backstory. I linked it in uh, in this week's pickups article. Uh, I like I just think it's really interesting because he's you know, he's played in in lesser leagues, right? Lesser professional uh, caliber leagues. He's worked on a fishing boat. He was working at a health club like his route from uh, South Florida to the NFL. It's pretty crazy. Fun story. Again, looked great against the Cowboys, but everybody's going to look great against the Cowboys. He he is in a situation where he's tied to, you know, I mean, we're quarter quarter of the way through the season and Cleveland has the NFL's number one rushing offense. They're getting 207 rushing yards per week. Obviously, it's a little bit inflated by Odell's ridiculous 70 yard Cowboys let him do it touchdown and that spectacular game in general for that rushing offense. But I am pretty interested in Dearness Johnson if he's going to get something like a dozen touches a game, which it seems like, you know, if things go according to script for Cleveland, like that may actually happen. And I like you mentioned his backstory and how unusual it is. If there's one position specifically in fantasy that I don't care where the player came from, I don't care what his pedigree was, what his draft status was, all that stuff, it's running back. You know, I mean, look, obviously there are examples in at every position. Tony Romo was undrafted. Um, Doug Baldwin was undrafted. You can find a lot of tight ends. I don't think Antonio Gates was drafted. You can find undrafted talent everywhere. But running back, it feels like a guy you've never heard of or a guy you've never thought that much of. Even look how well Mike Davis has acquitted himself the last couple of weeks, Carolina, doing like an 80% McCaffrey imitation. So um, <laughs> now we knew a little bit about Mike Davis. Now, so, so don't be thrown by the fact that you may not know a lot about Dearness Johnson or whoever we're talking about next week, because I don't think that's a disqualifier. I, I also think it's important to bring up Chase Edmonds as poorly as Kenyon Drake. Now, Edmonds is still under 50% rostered, correct? Oh, yeah. he's okay. uh, He was the next name on the list. He's about okay. uh, he's about one-third rostered in uh, in Yahoo Leagues. And I wanted yeah. to get your thoughts not only on Ed- Edmonds, but on the train wreck of a game that Kenyon Drake just gave us. Like, yeah, in a just... blow-up spot, literally no featured back had disappointed against Carolina so far, and Kenyon Drake puts up an absolute dud. Uh, I don't even know if he ran a pass route, like was not involved as a wasn't targeted, wasn't involved as a receiver at all. And Chase Edmonds finds the end zone again, but on on limited touches. A lot of moving parts here. I think week four is an interesting inflection point where it's no longer the excuse of, oh, it's you know no preseason. It's early you know, week four. You should have the rust knocked off. And, and when you have a matchup like Carolina, you really need to take advantage of it. And I, I try not to tell uh, our readers and listeners to stash everybody because that's kind of cheap advice. Oh, yeah, stash him, stash him, dynasty, you know, stash him. But if there's one guy I've been really begging people not to cut and make sure he's on your roster, it's Chase Edmonds. Just we saw that upside last year, the three touchdown game against the Giants. And we know this offense can be a really effective running offense. The tricky thing is that, of course, they also have a quarterback who runs the ball a lot and he's not always that interested in dumping the ball off, although Edmonds was involved in the passing yeah. game on Sunday. 
that's kind of the double-edged sword with some of these mobile quarterbacks. Like, you know, Baltimore's, oh, it's great. You know, Lamar, Lamar Jackson's such a dynamic athlete. Look at the running lanes the running backs are going to have. But the problem is a lot of times that rushing production goes to the quarterback and maybe he'd rather run the ball than, than dump off a pass when a play goes off script. So you have to deal with that. And, and Murray really didn't play well Sunday either. Almost nobody in that Arizona offense is feeling that great about themselves. But Edmonds, I feel like he's made the case that maybe this can be a, a 60-40 backfield a 50 50 backfield maybe remember arizona's lost a couple of games too what motivates coaches to change things when they lose right when, when, when yeah. something when the team doesn't play its best but they win they think okay we've won there's not the inherent pressure to change things when you start losing games you start thinking what can we do differently so i think the opportunity for edmonds to either work into he gets enough projectable volume that you could play him even as as a non-starter as the number two or maybe he just pushes drake out of the way my, my solution to Drake is just whisper to him, come up to him at practice, just whisper, hey, uh, Adam Gase has just traded you to the Cardinals <laughs> and, and see if maybe that can get Drake going. Um, but uh, Chase Edmonds, man, I, I know he's been mostly a stash in hope, but I think he might become a stash and you know use liberally during the bye week season. Remember, week five, we had some teams not playing in week four unintentionally, but week five, no Packers, no Lions. And, and who's to say that there may not be more you know health issues that force games off the field? So... Uh, you know, Chase Edmonds has become somebody that I I almost played this week and in week four. And I think in week five, I'm probably going to have to play him in some deeper leagues. And I'm, I'm actually excited to do so. Yeah, you're you're right about sort of the list of stashes because we you know, hey, I write a pickups column where I list between 25 and 30 players. And I, I don't tell you who to drop like we're not covering who should leave your roster, you know, and I realize you can't stash. 30 guys in any given week. Um, Edmonds is probably on that list for me. Has certainly been on that list for me. Madison Pollard. There's not many other guys that I just think you could come into the season with like an understudy for a really good back. Maybe we can throw Latavius Murray in there, although he's not exactly an understudy he has his own role carved out. If something were to happen, you've got somebody that you can reliably start as an RB one fringy RB two, something like that. And Edmonds is certainly like, Edmonds has already passed that test. We've already seen what it looks like when Edmonds gets a full rushing workload. It's great. Like, it's great. He hasn't, you know, we haven't seen him over a full season do it, but we've seen isolated games where it's absolutely spectacular. So I'm with you on Edmonds. I think he needs to be rostered in a in a whole bunch more leagues. I don't know what the right number is. Two thirds. It's certainly not one third, especially the way that Kenyon Drake is trending. And like if you're a man, I don't I don't have Drake on a whole bunch of rosters or anything like that. So it's not it's not really a problem that is dragging me down. It only dragged down my my DFS lineups in uh, in week four. That was an absolute absolute flaming disaster um but it's not it's not a huge problem i have but you can't like it's he's such dead weight right now because you can't you can't take this to the trade market right i mean maybe there's somebody who's just decimated by injuries who would give you a little something for him but Kenyon drake hardly tradable at this point yeah you need market confidence to rebound and the worst thing you can have in a fantasy roster is somebody who's not quite good enough to play but you can't really trade them but they're too good to cut they just get in your way <laughs> Yeah, by the way, I love that you mentioned Latavius Murray and Tony Pollard. Uh, there's a difference between some of these understudy backs. Some of them are playable as standalone value right now. Like Murray is getting enough. Yeah. As great as Kamara is, the Saints know that he can't, he's not a workhorse on, on the ground. He's never had a thousand yard rushing season. So Murray, as long as game script is relatively favorable, you would think another guy that I use that 10, you know, 10 to 12 touches a week. If you can project that for a running back, I think they become playable, especially as RB2s, especially as flexes, as injuries keep biting us, as bye weeks keep kicking in. 
Latavius, I think I told somebody to play Latavius Murray this week. It was legitimately somebody's best option. And, you know, versus a Tony Pollard where you really need Elliott to get hurt or the yeah, Dallas maybe yeah. to have a different approach, which it's hard to see. They paid Elliott so much money. As much as I think Tony Pollard's a wonderful talent and in a perfect world, maybe they could make it 65 to 70% Zeke, 30% Pollard. I think that would actually make a lot of sense. But they've invested too much money in Elliott. There's no way they're going to downsize his role. So right. Pollard becomes just a stash and hope. You can't play him. Where a guy like Murray, you can play. I think Edmonds is going to get into that discussion of somebody you can play. We talked about Johnson earlier, who could be somebody. So a lot of times who you end up choosing in your in to make offers on, it's going to come down to, do you need the guy this week? Or is it more who is the highest upside if something falls right down the road? Yeah. I mean, just looking at the list of running backs that are that are still going to be out going into next week. I mean, it's it's McCaffrey, it's Barkley, it's Chubb, it's Eckler. It's like it's half the first round is going to be is going to be missing in action. Barkley long as, gone. Yeah. Yeah. As we as we go into the weeks ahead, I mean, people are going to be flexing Chase Edmonds, or at least they should. There's there's some touchdown upside there. And then there is, you know, the the clear opportunity, I think, for an expansion of his workload. The the name that I got to mention, I I don't even I don't even want to cover this team anymore in the pickups pod because I, I mean I'm just going to be wrong every time, but I am duty bound to report that Malcolm Brown I believe outsnapped <laughs> Daryl Henderson. Didn't necessarily see that coming because Henderson had had fully passed the eye test in in weeks two and three, right, and appeared to have leapfrogged Malcolm Brown in that little hierarchy. But Malcolm Brown comes up with 14 touches. He was just fine. It it does indeed feel like this is going to be a bit of a coin flip spin the wheel backfield it is exactly what sean mcveigh threatened it would be i have i have nothing good to say about this lawless backfield scott right because as you said it's going to get more complicated with cam Akers eventually comes back and what it boils yeah. down to is the ramps feature back is sean mcveigh right and he's a, he's a <laughs> yeah. very good offensive designer and he believes in sean mcveigh and he believes in okay i have three different talents who do different things who they may fit different game plans and you know, the Patriots are one of those teams famously 16-week, 16 game plans. I think McVay's got a little bit of that yeah. in him. Kyle Shanahan feels like he could take anybody off the street and make them a 900-yard rusher you know, with maybe two weeks to practice. So you know, McVay has so much confidence in himself, and they've been successful. They, they're uh, just a, an eyelash away from being 4-0 right now. They easily could have won that Buffalo game. They didn't play their best game against the Giants. But So it's I think if you have to take a chance on any of these backs, they all make sense, but they have no floor. The floor is, oh, yeah, the other yeah. guy got the work or, or you know, this this player became the third back in a two-back rotation. So it's going to be a lot of game flow, a lot of hot hand, and it's going to be really difficult to trust those guys before the game is actually played. Yeah, I ended up uh, just in a desperation, injury-induced situation. I had to start Malcolm Brown in a league this past week, and that could have gone worse, right? But as you say, it's going to basically be, we're just going to be guessing week to week which Rams running back is going to at least lead that backfield in touches and sometimes not even, not even deliver a particularly useful line wouldn't it be a great flex by the way by by shanahan if he were to just pick up Kalen balage right now get him a hundred yard game something like that i mean man yeah unfortunately uh, they've already they've already played the jets to do it against the jets would be even better you know <laughs> to say well like, you know, we're adding Kalen balage to learn all the ins and outs of jets management and then we'll <laughs> yeah, just throw exactly him in there right. for a couple of touchdowns uh, i want to mention one other thing you had a great segment on on fl live on on sunday about what to do with the unusual circumstances of week four. And, you know, we, we weren't sure what the Patriots and Chiefs were going to do with their game. And we had a, a, the idea of contingency rosters, right? Where you tell your commissioner, yeah. okay, well, if you know, Mahomes isn't playing, I want to play so-and-so. And I saw the list of players who were contingency 
I'm designated in some of my leagues, which guys like, oh, wow, he's on somebody's roster. Really? That's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the fun of being like the 14 team, the 16 team. You and I are in a league with 20 owners uh, together, 20 managers together. You know, just the, the people who, who are pivots. You know, it's like, oh, this guy's active as the receiver forum team. Get him in there. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. That, I, I don't, not everybody thinks that's the joy of fantasy, but I, I think it's just funny. Some of the names I've been considering aren't even maybe viable enough to talk on this program, but I had to consider them in week four. Oh, absolutely. The the 20-teamer that you're talking about is Super League, which uh, if anybody, you guys should all be listening to the pod with uh, with Charles and uh, Therese, and, and they talk about it a fair amount. And I am, I mean, I could go on a rant about Super League because I'm just having one of those years where like the points scored against me are ridiculous. I think I'm the only person in that league who's had over 400 points scored against them. And as you know, like 100 points in Super League because it's a 20-teamer, steep, like, that's a good week. And that's every week against me. Somebody's putting up like 110. This has just been brutal so far. I am. The- I, I want to apologize publicly to Therese. We, we were in a good game. He's a good team. I have a good team. I was probably going to lose. And because I had it's 20 team league, I had no really good option on defense. So I, I just rolled out the Eagles. And that garbage Nick Mullins <laughs> interception, which we, the point shaving throw that he made, actually won my game over over Therese. I apologize. It's a lousy way to lose. Literally, um, it's honestly, not like I, the worst. The worst throw I've seen in 20 years, like the worst throw you're going to see. It's impossible that he did not see the the defender and an amazing play, a play that thrust CJ Beathard right into the into the starting lineup. I was pretty happy about that. Immediately, you know, put you into the spotlight on Twitter. I think Andy Barron's and CJ Beathard (laughs) were immediately trending. And and Beathard, you know, against a, a Jim Schwartz defense that was designed to give up yards. But. That method looked pretty good in, in his time on the field. Yeah, why don't we actually why don't we actually dive into the quarterbacks? That okay. seems like the right segue into the quarterbacks. Not that I am officially recommending a CJ Beathard ad. Sure I'm not are. there yet. I might do it. I might do it in Super League because he can just sit on my roster as a mascot because I'm 0-4 and there's no way it's getting any better. But let's talk about people that uh, can actually be used by fantasy managers in the week ahead. I'm going to start this and we'll get to Justin Herbert, who, again, was terrific. I want to start this, though, with Teddy Bridgewater, who had a terrific line, right? 276 passing yards. It was a couple of touchdowns, did throw a pick. He had he had a rushing score, which you can't count on, obviously, from Teddy. But he's got Atlanta next. And Atlanta is about as friendly as it's been. They've been involved, obviously, in shootouts all year. It's just one quarterback lighting them up after another. Teddy's playing good. There was also a there were a handful of plays in that game, one of which I linked to the video in the pickups column. Like he's pushing the ball downfield. This is not pure check down Teddy Bridgewater anymore. They're making the best possible use of Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson is actually uh, sort of dominating the the receiving stats on that team. I kind of like that frisky little Panthers offense. Uh, and I think Bridgewater is a, a totally plausible top 12 quarterback next week. I'm having a lot of fun with this team. And I feel like I blew it. You know, look, we were all focused on continuity in the summer, right? Carolina had no <laughs> continuity. They had a new coaching yeah. staff, a new quarterback, Robbie Anderson was a receiver changing teams, which, you know, the eyes, it, it seems so dated now, right? The idea like, oh, don't touch DeAndre Hopkins or Stephon Diggs or, or Robbie Anderson. They're changing teams. And I'll admit I was playing that drum as much as anybody. And and I've been burned by all three guys because they're, they're playing terrific football. I wasn't so much against Anderson, but the thing with Anderson is that I didn't realize until the season started that he and Matt Rule go back to Temple together. They went not, not uh, the religious Temple, but the the university, uh, Temple University. So uh, Rule already had a a sense of what Anderson can and can't do as a player, and maybe that makes the onboarding quicker. And you and I were making a a trade in a Superflex League not long ago where you needed a quarterback, and it was going to be, well, I was going to trade Breeze to you or Teddy Bridgewater to you. 
And I really wanted to keep my hands on Bridgewater. I, I just wanted to get out of the breeze business. I mean, look, he'll, he'll still be fine. I mean, Thomas will come back and he's got Kamara and everything. But I think Carolina nailed it with this coaching, you know, with, with the, the two college, uh, the, the, the coach and the coordinator they brought in from college, the guy at Brady who was running the LSU offense. Bridgewater looks great. Mike Davis hasn't missed a beat. Uh, you know, I, I know it's yeah. un- unfortunate for DJ Moore owners. He really hasn't gotten going yet, although his yardage pace is perfectly fine. He just hasn't scored a touchdown yet. And right now, Anderson looks like he's becoming the alpha in this offense. But I think Carolina nailed it with the coach. I think they nailed it with the quarterback. I, and I, this is they're going to allow a lot of points. I mean, of course, it's the year of pinball. We've never seen as much scoring as, as there has been in through four weeks. It's like five points ahead of any previous scoring year. The over is cashing like 63% of the time if you want to get over to yeah. BetMGM, our partners. But I'm excited about this offense. I'm excited about Bridgewater. I, I think Rule was a great hire. And I'm kicking myself for not having more Robbie Anderson. Yeah. You know, the other thing about Anderson, I mean, I certainly thought that stylistically the the pairing of Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson was like, I mean, wow, I, like all we'd ever really seen from Robbie Anderson, not exclusively, but mostly were splash plays like a vertical threat. He's, a, you know, incredible speed and all that. But that is exactly the thing that you rarely expect Teddy Bridgewater to do. He's done it this year. Like he's pushing the ball downfield. It's been it's been really, really good to see all of the new pieces seem to be seem to be fitting both in terms of personality and man you can't really argue with the with the offensive system that they've installed i don't think it's ever even been done in nfl history right two two new coordinators new offensive and defensive coordinator new quarterback new head coach like all of that newness made zero sense coming into the year but there's a couple of wins they're really fun and we even we even got a rushing touchdown out of teddy which is again it's not going to happen a whole lot hasn't really been a part of his game to this point but uh but it was good to see in the matchup again uh, like most of streaming quarterbacks it's just about the matchup ahead and the matchup is absolutely spectacular let's say uh, two, two wins without McCaffrey too which is yeah yeah oh gosh you're right they're two and two and uh the two yeah the two wins without cmc that's crazy let's hit uh gardner Minshew too who i thought looked uh looked great uh, like all, all he needed was dj chark back in the fold chark catches everything couple of touchdowns Minshew puts up 351 yards the two scores uh chenault had a game looked really good Minshew is about to face a Houston team that's obviously in disarray following the coaching change, already a winless Houston team. Uh, like, there's no way this isn't going to be fun, right? I mean, I know I know the last time I got really excited about Minshew was the disaster game against Miami, but but with Shark back in the mix, it's got to be different. Yeah, I mean, you hit all the key points there. Matchup's right. And Shark, the, the two gorgeous touchdowns, that, that toe drag on the first one to, to make sure yeah. he was inbounds. Jacksonville has a lot of reasonable support receivers, but there's only one person with star quality that I see. That's DJ Chark. So to fully be on board with Minshew, you need a healthy, productive Chark. We saw that in week four. And and I wish, I I know a lot of people ask me Chark questions where they had reasonable alternatives and I wish I'd given out more Chark. It's just hard to know how healthy somebody is. He wasn't healthy enough to play last week, but man, did he look a hundred percent like pro bowl candidate Chark. And, And, you know, Minshew, with a modern quarterback, we want him to run at least a little bit. He's willing to do that. You know, he's somebody who can project for probably 25 or 30 rushing yards in a lot of weeks, maybe a rushing touchdown here or there. Robinson's emergence helped the pace of the offense. Houston hasn't stopped anything through four weeks. And, and I, don't, I don't care who they bring in. I mean, they, they can, you know, get Bill Belichick from the Patriots. It's not gonna, you're not going to fix this Houston Texans team <laughs> in, in five days. So uh, Minshew, yeah. I think, is approved for all audiences. And remember, too, one reason, you know, if you own Russell Wilson, he's been playing week six. You may need, I don't know who Minshew plays two weeks from now, but one of the reasons why you might be 
making an offer on a quarterback today is because you have a bye week coming up. You want to get ahead of things. Maybe you don't have a lot of flexibility. Maybe you don't have the the fab hammer or whatever it is. So just start looking at that bye week list because we're going to have to start playing a week ahead uh, of schedule in some leagues as we run out of money and more teams aren't playing. I'll just mention it's good for Minshew for another couple of weeks because it's Houston and then it's Detroit. Detroit just gave up whatever Drew Brees wanted in a game where Drew Brees didn't have either Jared Cook or Michael Thomas. So that's also a friendly spot for him. And then they go into their bye. They come out of it with the Chargers. Let's talk about the Chargers. Let's talk about Justin Herbert. What the hell? This kid looks spectacular. Like he looks he looks like a veteran. He, he doesn't look young or skittish or any of those things to me. He seems he seems relatively inventive, like obviously a very strong arm can throw it kind of off platform a bit and do great things like, I don't know, pocket presence, all the all the things that you would expect from a guy who has been in the league like four or five years. You can kind of see it in Herbert. He doesn't te- seem like the moment is too big for him at all. It started out that way, obviously, with a surprise start against the against the Chiefs, no less. And he kind of went it's not, it's not like they're playing a video game. They're not really opposing each other, but he kind of went toe to toe with Tom Brady for a while and it was going well. Like that, that was a fun shootout of a game. He's peppering Keenan Allen with targets. So, you know, in terms of all the things that you were worried in a transition from Philip Rivers to Tyrod Taylor, is this still going to be there? Is it still going to look the same way? Well, the targets were, were starting to be there for Eckler before he got injured. The targets are definitely there for Keenan Allen. He's just getting, I mean, it was 19 a couple of weeks ago, another double digit target game. So everything I've seen from her, it looks, uh, looks great like i think he's in play maybe rest of season yeah he interests me more rest of season than maybe he might in week five because he's at new orleans although it's hard yeah. to handle on exactly how good the saints defense is and, and to be honest with you andy I'm, I'm not sure how many defenses push me off a player these days anyway i mean there are a couple of them uh, pittsburgh maybe baltimore you know i mean the bears aren't that defense for me anymore um and maybe the saints aren't either and Herbert, you just had that great game against the Tampa Bay defense that I think is a top five defense uh, that's actually yeah. been for the most part until Brady had the five touchdowns. I think the story of Tampa Bay had been how good the defense had been playing. So I, I agree with you. Just he doesn't look nervous, doesn't look skittish, doesn't have that deer in the headlights look or the the teenager getting behind a car you know wheel for the first time. <laughs> and he just looks comfortable. He's certainly got the arm that can hit any area of the field, and he's even thrown touchdowns to guys we've never heard of before. So that's always interesting. You you don't know who the JV connection is sometimes, but I don't see how they go back to Taylor. And it's sad that Eckler's hurt, but there's a lot of talent in this offense. They still have a healthy Hunter Henry. Allen is a a Pro Bowl player at his peak. And uh, so I I think Herbert is on – Again, I don't know how I'll project him this week at New Orleans, but I think he's going to be a fantasy factor the rest of the season. And I think the Chargers definitely made a a hit at pick six in the NFL draft. I just feel terrible for Taylor. I mean, I feel terrible for Tyrod, right? Like his whole career is going to end up being bridge quarterback to another guy. And and this injury in particular, I mean, this, this just didn't need to happen. This is an absolutely ridiculous circumstance. But Herbert's... I mean, Herbert's taking the job. There's there's really no way you can hand it back to, to Tyrod at this point. So let me just get your thoughts on, I can't muster the enthusiasm for him, but perhaps you can. How about Kirk Cousins against Seattle, a defense that is allowing 401 passing yards per week? Yeah, well, the, the key there is that Jefferson has become a factor the last two weeks. He has the blow-up game yeah. week three, and then he goes over 100 again in week four. Because when this passing game was Adam Thielen and the cast of thousands, and we know Minnesota, I mean, Mike, Mike, Zim, Mike Zimmer wants to run the ball to set up the run. You know, he preferred not to throw <laughs> the ball at all if they could win that way. But, of course, Minnesota doesn't have a defense. They can't win that way. So Cousins becomes interesting to me with a second outside threat 
and now at a Seattle defense. Look, Seattle, I mean, they, they didn't allow all that much to Miami. It wasn't the best Fitzpatrick game. It may have been resulted in him getting benched. They're, they're talking about when exactly to transition to their rookie quarterback. But we know Seattle's defense has all sorts of problems. You know, Cam Newton almost threw for 400 yards against them. They had a, a shootout with Dallas the, the week after that. So I, I would think with Jefferson's emergence, Cousins, I, I don't want to make a long-term maybe investment in Cousins. Maybe yeah. it's just a matchup play or a, a bye week play or injury play, whatever it is, just one of those in a pinch guys. But, I mean, you can't go do better than at Seattle. And you would think Russ would be cooking against that Minnesota defense that hasn't stopped anything all season. So you have to figure Seattle's probably got 40 already. And Cousins will probably have, I would think, his busiest passing day of the season. Yeah, that's the way I view it. I'm not throwing more than a buck or two at Kirk Cousins, and I'm not I'm not making long term plans with Kirk Cousins. But you know, again, they've they've found a at least a suitable replacement for Stephon Diggs, if not exactly Diggs. Jefferson was great. You just like to see that. We'll transition to the wide receivers, and we'll talk about another rookie receiver who had a good week a couple weeks ago, and then and then really threw down I thought I thought really backed it up well in uh, in week four and that was T Higgins he's got a dicey matchup coming up against Baltimore so I like he's one of those guys that I don't know that I want to add for the game ahead necessarily so much as the season ahead right like he but he chased that two touchdown game with seven targets 77 yards that was good to see out targeted AJ Green we might have a little something to worry about with AJ Green maybe it's just one of those things where you know targets flow different places it's not always going to be AJ Green's week certainly it'll come back to him I'm not actually as panicky about AJ Green as I would be about Kenyon Drake in part because didn't didn't cost me as, as much at the draft table perhaps but uh like I think it'll eventually come back around to to Green still T Higgins doesn't look like he's going away anytime soon John Ross was inactive again for the second straight week so it looks like Higgins is the number three receiver on that team trying to inch his way up to number two yeah I'm interested in Higgins and I, I maybe even more so than you might be because I just don't into his 10th season, I'm worried that A.J. Green may not have much left to give. He was getting a lot of targets and not doing much with them. And the whole idea was, well, he's got air yards. You know, he's getting opportunities. And then <laughs> yeah. in week four, Joe Burrow just decided to butter his bread elsewhere. You, you know, only three yards receiving for Green on five targets. Higgins is the type of body that fits a lot of routes. It could be a big touchdown player when he later matures. And Cincinnati probably has to throw the ball a lot. Burrow's getting really good stats. A lot of it's through volume. I think he's looked pretty good. He's gotten better, I think, every week. And, of course, the results show it. They got that tie in week three, although they didn't play well in overtime. And then they finally got the win in a fun game against Jacksonville. So I'm in on Burrow. I've I've been a Tyler Boyd guy the whole season. Just I think he's a dynamite slot receiver. And and Higgins looks like he could be a, a number one someday. And I think this baton might get passed sooner rather than later. I it's so exciting, too. You think about we had the 2014 rookie class of receivers was dynamite. The last year wasn't maybe quite the 2014 level, but it was really good. Yeah, it's just exciting. Now you, you see C.D. Lamb blowing up. We can see we see the potential with Jerry Judy, who had a big touchdown in the Thursday game last week. Higgins has made a splash. Uh, Gabriel Davis we'll talk about in a little bit. A couple other rookie receivers are on this list. So I, it's just as the college and pro games morph and get closer and closer together and more similar I don't think it's that unusual to see these younger guys. It used to be what third year get the receiver. Now no, maybe it's the <laughs> second year. Now it's like, wait a minute. If this guy can play, you might be using him in September. Certainly in October. Now these guys have had some time to get their feet wet, their cleats wet. I think Higgins right now is as good a bet as anybody to lead the Bengals in receiving touchdowns the rest of the season. Yeah, it's funny as I as I look at the list of wideouts that uh, that I put on the rundown for this show. Look at all the rookies. It's Higgins. It is Davis. It is I put Chase Claypool on there. Obviously, they they didn't end up having a game in Week Four, but. 
Claypool outsnapped all Pittsburgh receivers in week three. Um, we've already seen him make huge plays this season. He's a ridiculous athlete, even by the standards of the NFL. Uh, LaVisca Chenault is still out there in a majority of Yahoo leagues. Uh, he had his best receiving day, uh, 86 yards. Uh, he, he's definitely passed the eye test, and they're giving him the ball as a as a runner as well, which was a huge part of his collegiate game. So he's super fun. Guys that just missed the list are like Brandon Ayuk, who had maybe the play of the week uh, on on Sunday night. That was hilarious. It was more levitation than it was hurtling a dude, but it was a phenomenal play. Um, so the rookie class has just been absolutely incredible. Of those names, after Higgins, who's the most interesting rookie to you? I think it's Chenault, who I like the way you talked about him getting touches manufactured to him. I love anytime they'll do that for a receiver. You talked about Ayuk getting that touchdown on the Sunday night game, which basically goes down as a running play. Sorry, Mullins owners. Uh, in fact, we, somebody was <laughs> somebody was talking about their bad beat. They wanted their bad beat considered because they had Mullins and he throws a touchdown pass that isn't even a touchdown pass to his opponent's Ayuk. And I'm so frustrated. The Patriots can't draft a receiver, and yet Pittsburgh, right? How many receive? How many right answers have they found a receiver oh over gosh. the years? And they're never yeah. even first round picks. Never you know, a first find, rounder. They find guys. You know, I mean, obviously Antonio Brown was what round five, round six. Juju, you know, terrific. Brian had his moments. It looks like uh, Dante Johnson people are really excited about. Now Claypool just looks like he fits right in with that group. And in San Francisco, they had Debo last year, and Ayuk looks like a player. I, again, just could one of these guys be on the Patriots just once? I, I, know, <laughs> I know nobody wants to hear Patriot whining on this podcast or any podcast, Seriously. but but there's one thing that Bill Belichick can't seem to do. It's find a good receiver in the draft that they've, you know, whatever, Edelman a million years ago. He wasn't even a receiver when they drafted him, but... Uh, Chenault is the guy because of the fact that they're manufacturing touches for him. And also, I think you have to view Chenault as better off when Chark's on the field. This is one of those chicken egg things. Mm, like if yeah. Chark doesn't play, oh, maybe Chenault will get more involvement. But the problem is then the offense bogs down, doesn't get into scoring position as often, and it lowers the tide of, for everybody. I think Chenault's better when Chark's on the field because the offense, the over-under on Jaguar points, I think goes up appreciably. And then it's just – you get more opportunity to make splashy things happen for fantasy. So Chanel of the guys you mentioned, I'm most interested in. Now, if if anybody were to get hurt, if John Brown would have a serious injury, you know, he's had problems before staying healthy. If he becomes somebody we can't trust or, or Buffalo has to kind of limit, Gabriel Davis looks really interesting. Josh Allen might be the most improved player in the NFL right now. And Davis has made things happen two weeks in a row. So it looked like they may have found something. You know, Buffalo, talk about all the right things they've done recently. They swooped in and got and got digs at the right time. And it looked like they made a hit with that Davis pick. And then, you know, Allen right now is probably in the MVP discussion as well. Yeah, um, Davis is a great name to bring up. Obviously not heavily targeted, but he does have a couple of touchdowns so far. And it's Liz Lowe's and I have talked about this a couple of times on uh, on the, the weekly preview pod. They're they're running so much for for wide receiver stuff. It's a really fun offense. Like it's not you know, it's it's an inventive, almost collegiate offensive system. And obviously, Allen is playing extremely well. But the, but just the sheer number of times that like. Beasley, Diggs, Davis, all on the field, Brown, all on the field together makes it really fun and and stresses a defense in in phenomenal ways. There's no doubt in my mind that their offensive coordinator Brian Dable will be a head coach next year. Somebody's yeah. gonna steal yeah. him away from Buffalo. Uh, good good old Canadian guy coming down to America in part of his wisdom. <laughs> and you know, if if any team should benefit from Canadian intelligence, it should be the Buffalo Bills, who are you know awfully close. And the time they've even played home games in Toronto. At times, we should also, I guess, mention Scotty Miller. All those injuries in Tampa Bay, 
right? O.J. Howard's out for the year at Godwin. We don't know when he'll be back. This is a Thursday game. I would think probably not back in week five. And now Mike Evans is gimpy. They really haven't gotten Gronkowski going. Uh, you know, Brady threw five touchdowns to teammates, one touchdown to the opposition, and none of it was the Gronk. So it's really hard <laughs> to trust him. And, and unfortunately, you probably have to hold him one more week just to see what happens to Gronk in a post-OJ Howard yep. world. Although just to kick, kick Gronk's shins, you know, uh, Cameron Bright caught a touchdown last week. But Miller has, what, three fantasy strong performances out of four. And, and they talked him up all summer. And Brady's gotten comfortable with him. And it's not just the short stuff. I mean, he, Scotty Miller has the measurables of a slot receiver but he plays outside he runs deep intermediate and deep routes and uh he's gotten it's been different levels of trust and comfort with 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 quarterback to receiver in tampa bay but it seems like miller more than anybody in tampa bay quickly got on the page with tom brady yeah and brady raved about him too right like you mentioned it um most of the actual hype about miller in the offseason was coming directly from tom brady and sometimes that's just typical sunshine but i don't feel like it's I don't feel like Brady just hands that out to everybody on the roster. God, no. um, yeah, he name checked uh, uh, Miller quite a bit. The one other guy that I wanted to mention at receiver who was just great on Thursday night was Tim Patrick, who's flashed a few times over the years, had 100 yards, found the end zone. You mentioned it with Tampa, where there are a ton of injuries in the receiving core, where there, there are plenty of injuries in uh, in the Denver receiving core as well. It's not... You know, it's not the same ripe fantasy situation necessarily that we have in Tampa Bay, but obviously Cortland Sutton done for the year. Noah Fant goes down with an ankle. Jerry Judy was a little banged up, did find the end zone on Thursday night. But man, uh, Tim Patrick to me has got the size, got a little bit of leaping ability. I want to say that at his pro day, he was like a 37 or 38 inch vertical. Like he's an athlete, little separation ability, and he's coming off a great day. And it doesn't matter what, you know. Uh, substandard quarterback they throw out there. They're going to get Drew Locke back, which is surely an upgrade. Patrick has, has been able to thrive. He's got touchdowns in, in two straight weeks, so I'm kind of into him too. Yeah, I think he's been underrated and under the radar because there's so much talent on that team. But as you mentioned, you with Sutton Hurt, with Fant now Hurt, it clears things up a little bit. And, and sometimes you look at teams and you think, oh, wow, they have all this abundance of talent. How it's all, all going to get in the field? And then the football season happens and people get hurt and then opportunities <laughs> break and I'm like you. I don't want to make Drew Locke any kind of savior, but he's certainly better than the alternatives that the Broncos have right now. Yeah. I mean, the second best quarterback for the Broncos is probably John Elway. Um, I mean, <laughs> current, current, you know, what is he, 60 years old, whatever he is, John Elway would probably be, maybe he'd be their best quarterback, but they'll get Locke back quickly. So I would approve of, uh, of that move in any league. Also, I want to mention until Michael Thomas comes back, I think Jaquan Smith is an easy name to, to plug and play. We finally saw Breeze get comfortable a little bit with Emmanuel Sanders, but Thomas has been hurt. Cook's been hurt, and Smith was winning when contested catches. He was winning on a variety of different routes. I, at one point, I just thought he was kind of a one-trick pony for this team, and, and, and God yeah. knows you have to. If you have any Saint, you have to deal with the fact that there'll be four or five snaps where Taysom Hill has to be the, the featured guy in the Saints offense because you know, when is Sean Payton? The, the hill that Sean Payton wants to die on is apparently Taysom Hill. But <laughs> as long as Thomas is not playing, I think Smith's an easy guy to start. And if Thomas comes back, maybe Smith has done a much done enough that he's in the circle of trust with the Saints. Yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a serious target game for him. I think it was only four targets, but uh, two of them <laughs> two of them resulted in touchdowns. He's tied to a great offense. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I've I've been kicking myself for a day because I. Somebody sent in a question on FFL and I picked against Traquan Smith and I've been thinking about like, you know, just just know 
that when I get something wrong on Fantasy Football Live or on the pregame chat or anything, like it sticks with me for a few days. And I, I misled someone on Traquan Smith. That was a that was a hell of a day. Let's uh let's hit tight end really quick before we get out of this thing. I'm gonna start with a guy that I think is is a bit of a sneaky priority for this week, and that's Eric Ebron coming off the unplanned bye week. He's gonna get Philadelphia. Philadelphia gave up the huge day to Tyler Higby. They just gave up absolutely anything that George Kittle wanted on Sunday night, right? It was 15 catches on 15 targets. I mean, Ebron isn't Kittle. He's not going to do all those Kittle things. But in terms of somebody that can exploit you downfield, somebody who's a a red zone target and Philadelphia has apparently chosen not to cover tight ends, that's going to shape up well for Ebron. Again, they've they've all of a sudden they've had extra time to to plan for this game, to game plan for this thing. Ebron really stepped up with uh, with a pretty significant target total in week. Uh, I think he has to be part of the game plan going forward and, and especially part of the goal to go game plan. So really good shot at a touchdown for him. I'll sign off on all that. And I get the idea that his roster number is probably lower than it normally would be because a lot of people faced unforeseen problems in week four and maybe had to cut an Eric Ebron. You know, they, yeah. he wasn't yeah. good enough to, to hold through the unplanned buy. So he may be more available than you would think a player of his stature would be. And here's the beautiful thing now, if you get involved in, in anybody on the Steelers, is that their bye week has passed. So, so yep. now if Eric Ebron can just stay healthy and productive, you, you no longer have to worry about, okay, do I cut him? They don't play this week. You know, that, that should be out the window now. It's clear sailing. So I, I sign off on everything you said. Philadelphia is just giving it away to the tight ends. Now, unfortunately, Pittsburgh has so much talent at receiver that you know that Ebron in a, a lot of right. weeks may not be a big factor. But – if Pittsburgh's doing any game planning, uh, they have to see the opportunity ahead of themselves. I think Ebron is going to be a popular DFS pick this week. I think he's going to be ranked aggressively by everybody on the Yahoo staff. And again, let's let's get him in there. Let's let's make an offer for him and, and try to get him in there on Sunday. I was perturbed to see that he was fourteen dollars in our DFS game and not like I was hoping he'd come in at like eleven or twelve and I could really fit some stuff in. He's not. He's he's reasonably well priced but he's not he's not a, he's not the insane bargain that i was that i was looking for when i was building the lineup why don't you give me give me just a, a favorite tight end stream this week i don't know if, he, if he's too owned to be a streamer i, I did give J- jimmy graham prop out last week mm. and maybe i should have respected the, the colts defense more than i did although graham did end up with four catches but they're prioritizing him around the goal if they throw a touchdown pass that isn't to Allen robinson it almost certainly has to be to graham i I don't know if there's a great quarterback on this roster. I mean, Nick Foles reminded us as great as he looked against a bad Falcons team. He kind of reminded us why he's been such a well-traveled journeyman. Uh, but maybe the Colts had a lot to do with that. Now, Tampa Bay's not an easy matchup this week, but I feel like Graham's going to get end zone looks every week. And the tight end position, especially when we're talking streamers or non-obvious starters, it usually comes down to, can I imagine this player scoring a touchdown? So Graham would be on that list. And in the same game, if you're super desperate, in a deeper league, why not Cameron Bright? I mean, he scored a touchdown last week. He's a guy who's always been handy around the red area. And he's gotten he's, – he's, they even when they had three tight ends on the roster, they've still been using Bright. It's not like he's been completely yeah. mothballed. I'm at the point now where I think it's more likely that Bright scores a touchdown for Tampa Bay than Gronkowski. I need to see it from Gronkowski. Until I see a game from him, I'm not going to be proactive with him. Just to circle back to the Colts, it, I, I got to say that – I wasn't a I wasn't a huge believer in that defense. Now, maybe I shouldn't be a huge believer just because you have a good day against Nick Foles either. But I really thought it was a function of the schedule. Like I really thought, you know, uh, that, OK, you blew up the Jets. Other teams are going to blow up the Jets. That's not impossible. They were good. They're like, like they were flat out good. They're good against my like they were good against both the run and pass. Coverage was great. Allen Robinson eventually had the good fantasy day, but he needed to wait until basically garbage time to do it like 
That's that might be a pretty legit defense. They are awfully good against the pack. Again, they haven't faced, you know, it's not like they're facing Russell Wilson and Dak and Murderer's Row at quarterback necessarily just yet. But uh, what we've seen so far looks really good to me. And they're also helped by how they want to play football. They want to play slow on offense. Mm, they yeah. want to rely on, on maybe the best offensive line in football. And behind the the power running game, I, I don't think Jonathan Taylor has really gotten going yet. He'd be somebody I would kick the tires on a Jonathan Taylor trade. I, I think he's got big games coming. They just haven't happened yet. They didn't really need him to, to carry the load two weeks ago when the matchup was divine. He's a better runner than Naheem Hines. He, he's a better runner. I know Wilkins is kind of their closer now. And if you need insurance for Taylor, maybe Wilkins. We didn't talk about him in the running back segment, but if you're looking for a stash in some deeper leagues, I've gotten some Wilkins on my team because I think he'd be their feature guy if Taylor got hurt. But I think the Colts defense looks better because they want to play slow on offense because they can control the ball. And they're going to a lot of times be playing with the lead and be forcing the other team to try to come back in a really tight window, which can make an offense look really bad. I think that's a really good call on a, on a trade offer for Taylor because there's a little bit of fretting out there in fantasy Twitter about Jonathan Taylor and people are people are no doubt starting to see it. Jonathan Taylor was just a was just a brilliant collegiate runner. Like, uh, you know, I, I would love nothing more than to than to have a bunch of negative things to say about anybody who went to Wisconsin. But I can't do it in Taylor's case. He's like like he has legit track star speed. Um, he was a wonderful runner in college like. You, maybe we can give a guy in a, in a year without a preseason, maybe we can give a guy four games to get going. Right. I will say that sometimes I think I think the Colts were getting a little bit too cute um, with the usage of Hines and Taylor. Like they'll throw the ball, the ball to Taylor outside, which is good to see. Like, it's great to see. Um, you didn't do a lot in college. And then they'll run between the tackles with Hines and somebody will just pick him up and ragdoll tackle him. Right. Like he's t- like he's small. It's not. They, they do a little bit of that stuff where if I were a Colts fan, I would probably be shaking my head. I would be shaking my head a little bit more if they weren't beating the Bears. Uh, in, yeah, in I, I think I've seen it posited on Twitter, and I can't remember who first said this, that maybe part of the idea of why they run to Hines is just to put the thought in an opponent's mind that Hines isn't just a passing play. You know, because teams hate to telegraph. Like, for example, when the Patriots have Sony Michelle on the field, which won't be happening for a while because he's hurt right now, he never catches the ball. So it's a running play almost. In t- you just throw out so much of the playbook. And I wonder if some of this is a rope it up for Frank Reich. He just wants to show these Heinz runs. Look, we'll run it with Heinz. Yeah, you know, he's losing two yards every time we try it, but we'll do it. <laughs> be aware of it. Be, be afraid of it. And that's a good way to end it. Guys, if you're looking for additional podcasts, you have come to the right platform. We have a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports. You should, of course, check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. They're always talking Super League, the 20-teamer that Scott and I just dove into. Also, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our good friend Pat Forty from SI. You should follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. He's at Scott underscore Pianowski. I'm merely at Andy Barons. Once more, huge thanks to Planners, sponsor of the podcast. Tomorrow, you're going to get some Matt Harmon and some Dalton Del Don taking over here. But until then, we are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.